Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, one of the things I think about a lot, and I guess one of the things about me that's probably a little bit weird is, I have a tendency to be a little philosophical and kind of, you know, I don't know, given to that kind of stuff sometimes. And one of the things I think about a lot is why sports are so popular. By the way, it's great to be back with you again here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We had a great cruise, more on that in a little bit, but it's also great to be back to normal today, especially in the heels of a historic UGA-dominant NFL draft. And so we're going to have a lot of fun here over the course of the uh, next few days. And it's just good to be back doing this again. But as I was mentioning, I think about a lot of times about why it is that sports are so popular. And I think... There's potentially a lot of answers to that question, but I think one of the answers to the question is, is that sports give us a chance to define ourselves a little bit. You know, most of us kind of cheer for teams that are close to where we live. We like the idea of being proud of where we come from or proud of where we currently live or just proud of, you know, our home. We like we like the idea of that. And the sports teams in our state or in our city or whatever else kind of give us a chance to be you know, hopefully when they do well anyway, proud of where we're from. That's one of the things that we like about sports. It gives us an identity, our birthplace or our homeland or whatever else. It just kind of gives us some meaning there. And that's one of the things that sports is kind of kind of cool about. But it's not just place that gives identity to sports fans. There's also a version of that when it comes to time as well. Like I remember being a high school college kid in like the, you know, 90s and kind of the end of the Michael Jordan era, the start of the Tiger Woods era. And I remember thinking, man, I'm just really lucky to be alive right now. I could have been born at any point in time ever, but I'm actually kind of you know coming of age at a time in which I'm seeing maybe the greatest basketball player of all time. I believe Michael Jordan is maybe the greatest golfer of all time. I believe Tiger's at least the second best golfer of all time, if not the best, uh, some debate there between he and Jack Nicholas, but, but nonetheless, two of the all-time greats to ever play their sport and I'm kind of seeing them right now in the same era there can be a certain pride about when you were born or the time in which you were alive because of who you got to see with all of that I know for my grandfather you know uh, both of my grandfathers really growing up kind of the time of Charlie Trippy, and they'd always brag about how great it was to see him for the University of Georgia or like Ted Williams as a baseball player how great that was my my dad, you know, as a child, talking about seeing Fran Tarkenton in a Georgia football uniform and being a part of some of the great games in Athens that Tarkenton was the quarterback for UGA for. And his baseball guy on that was like Mickey Mantle. And when I think about these old-time players in baseball or, 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 or college football, whatever else, I kind of think about those guys that were big in the era of my dad, my grandfathers, and things like that. And there's just certain, like, cachet that, that comes from that, from that time frame in that era. And then sometimes you have kind of a cross-section of both those ideas where you happen to be around during the special era of the team that you root for. And there is something about that that just for the sports fans who are lucky enough to do that, it just feels particularly fortunate. I can't tell you how many Georgia fans over the years I've met 
who are like BA, you know, a big Georgia fan, graduated from UGA, and they kind of stick their chest out a little bit and they say, Yeah, I, I was at Georgia from 80 through 82 or 80 through 83. You know, I was there during those great years. And I get why they're proud of that because Georgia's been playing football for what, since 1892. There have been a lot of eras for Georgia football. But to say that you were a student on campus when Georgia won a national championship, when it made three straight trips to the Sugar Bowl, even the Cotton Bowl there in 83, if those were your years on campus at UGA, you do feel a, a certain sense of pride for that that did feel like to many people the golden age of georgia football and now here we are in 2021 or now 2022 finishing up the 2021 season and i think this past weekend's nfl draft serves to remind us again of just how special of an era of georgia football we're living through right now and the sense of pride that you have about being a UGA fan never goes away, but the sense of pride that we have about being a UGA fan in this particular era, we're just lucky to be alive during this time to be able to see that. Much the same way we think about like coaches having a job to do and players having a job to do, in the moment that we're all living through right now, I think those of us who are fans or those of us like me who kind of talk to fans for a living, and I also am a fan there as well, like we, during all of this, we've kind of got a job to do as well. Our job is to simply step back and appreciate it for what it is, because it's our perspective on this now that will one day lend the sense of history when we kind of look back on this, because one day we'll be old and gray. Uh, Some of us are heading that direction right now. And one day we'll talk about, oh, remember way back in 2021, you know what I was doing when Georgia had 15 players drafted. Like there is just a sense in which we got to stop and appreciate that. And listen, I, I know there's a tendency to want to accelerate things of, well, how many guys could Georgia have drafted next year? Believe you me, we'll get there at some point in time this week, but not yet. Or there's a tendency to want to say, oh gosh, how big of a commercial is all of this for UGA recruiting? And how many 2023 recruits or 2024 recruits, how many of those guys are going to be swayed and now come to Georgia because of the draft success that UGA has enjoyed. And you better believe we're going to get there as well. We love having that conversation. But there's a sense in which it would be inappropriate to do that too fast. It would be inappropriate to turn the page too quick to next year's draft or next year's recruiting class or even next year's team. For a moment, the 2021 team that brought us so much joy and so much happiness, they still have the spotlight for right now. And there's a sense in which You've just got to stop and appreciate all of this. You've just got to stop and say, wow, we just lived through history and we're lucky to have been there to see it. 15 guys drafted. I want to give you a little bit of a taste of what some are saying about Georgia coming off this draft. And I really do this for no other reason to say it's just truly remarkable. It is truly amazing for a guy like me that talks for a living. It almost defies description how dominant Georgia was in this draft. And it serves to really codify, I think, just how dominant Georgia was during the season. Virtually no regular season game, I guess, other than the uh, Clemson game was close at all. Georgia played a college football playoff game against uh, Michigan. We heard how great Aiden Hutchinson was all weekend. Georgia totally dominated that game. Got revenge against its arch nemesis Alabama in spectacular fashion in the uh, national championship game. It's the kind of performance you would expect a lot of NFL guys to have contributed to. Come to find out, there were 15 of them. And what's amazing is when you have that many guys draft, you're going to have multiple teams taking multiple dogs. And some of the personnel men for teams like the Philadelphia Eagles and the Green Bay Packers, I think they give you some of the greatest sense about um, 
just how impressive Georgia was in the eyes of those who evaluate football players for a living. Let me start with Howie Roseman here from the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going to show you this on the screen here, what uh, Mike Kay, local media, quoted uh, Howie Roseman as saying. He said that right now Georgia is, quote, a one-stop shop for the NFL draft. The reporter, Mike Kay, says that speaks to how great uh, they were here. So when you got a guy like Howie Roseman who's been around the NFL for a long time, making very sober you know, stable judgment there with the Philadelphia Eagles to say that kind of stuff about Georgia, obviously picking up Jordan Davis and later on picking up Nicobe Dean, that gives you a sense of just how dominant Georgia was. But what's remarkable here is, is that Roseman wasn't the only personnel guy around the NFL essentially saying the same thing about UGA. The Green Bay Packers also took a couple of dogs there as well, taking them in the first round. Now, I saw this stat. I think I may be slightly wrong on this, but I'm generally correct. Y'all correct my math if I am. But that's now stretching multiple drafts. Three consecutive first-round picks, I believe, the Packers have used on former dogs. Obviously, Eric Stokes and then Quay Walker and then Devontae Wyatt. So Green Bay has become one of these teams that's also very connected to what's happening there at UGA. And their personnel guy also talked about that there as well. I'll show you a quote here from uh, coming out of uh, Green Bay and the Packers uh, world on this. Ryan Woods, the reporter, Brian Gutenkunst, that's a mouthful there. Uh, this is what he had to say about that. He says well, about what it does for Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt to have been surrounded by so much talent in the Georgia defense. He says where they're coming from, meaning Georgia. He says that's about as close as you can get to the National Football League right now. So that was what's being said about, you know, the multiple dogs drafted by the Green Bay Packers. And the actual numbers themselves sort of speak to this too. A lot of folks gave some attention to the Bear, Chris Velika, who was chronicling not just how Georgia compared to other college programs, but the more fair comparison over the course of this NFL draft became Georgia and other Power Five leagues. And this is why there is so much hysteria right now in college football related to what the future of the playoffs is going to be or the future of name image likeness and the future of transfer portal and things like that. It's because the very best in the SEC, which right now is Georgia, they are running off and hiding from just the rest of college football right now. And if you're Georgia, it's great. If you're the rest of the sport, it's a problem because there doesn't seem to be any easy way to slow all of this down. But the Bear, Chris Felica, after the first three rounds of the NFL draft, gave us numeric data to back up just how special we just saw well, what it was for the Georgia Bulldogs. Let me show you this from the Bear, Chris Felica here, on the number of dogs picked in the first three rounds, nine, compared to the entirety of the ACC, just seven. The entirety of the Big 12, also just seven. How about Alabama having six players drafted, Cincinnati having five, but Georgia essentially having more players drafted in three rounds than two entire Power Five leagues. And as I said before, you hear all this, and it becomes easy, especially for somebody like me who's given to this kind of stuff anyway, to want to get greedy about that and just start thinking, oh, what's next? How could Georgia maybe dominate this draft again next year after all? In the modern era of the seven-round draft, no team's ever had more than Georgia had this year. Is this the start of something great? It might be. Are there other great recruits who are going to sign up for Georgia because of the success they enjoyed this past weekend? They probably will. But that feels like a conversation for Tuesday or Wednesday or sometime later on this week and certainly a lot over the course of the rest of this year. For now, as a fan, as somebody who's watched this team for a long time, I think it's important to note 
Things have never been better around Georgia than they are right now. The 2021 season was a magical one, filled with magical players who should be remembered for the rest of history. And the way we make sure that's true, the way that, the way that we make sure these guys get their historical due is to stop and appreciate it fully right now. We all just saw something really, really special over the course of 15 games and 15 drafted players, and we are lucky to have been alive to be able to see it. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. My, oh, my. We had a great time with the cruise. So many happy memories. You'll hear me talk more about that over the course of our uh, days to come. But one of the things I love about my life is, while it's fun to be away on some vacation and some fun, some sunshine, it's also great to come back to, uh, come back home to family, come back home to work. I just love that about my life. And so it's great to be speaking to you here today on this show, whether it be video, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, dognation.com there as well for our first and 15 and the Dog Nation app there as well at 945 or back on the radio again on Athens Sports Radio 96 The Ref today, back in podcast formed again, probably the longest we've gone without a podcast in quite some time. So uh, happy to be back speaking to all of you again there on that. Just excited about a huge week of shows. It's going to take us several days to unpack everything that happened with the NFL draft. More on that coming up in a moment, but just really, really excited about the chance to talk some Georgia football with you right now during this fun time for the dogs. And man, I'm so grateful for our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia for making it possible. This is that time of year when the ACs are cranking on all across our great state, certainly here in the Atlanta area. And that means when that air conditioning turns on, especially with things being as expensive as they are right now, you don't want that AC escaping out, you know, improperly fitted windows or just, you know, less than stellar, you know, doors. You know, sometimes if you have inefficient windows and doors, it creates a scenario where the energy that you're pumping into your house escapes out and doesn't stay where it's supposed to be. That's not a good thing. Plus, there's a certain pride you take in how your home looks on the outside. You know, we love that about our neighborhoods here in Atlanta, the great work folks do to make their homes look as good as they possibly can. Well, that's what Pella Window and Door of George is also about there as well. These products can increase the curb appeal of your home, too. It's always great to kind of, you know, have the best presentation for the outside part of your house. That's what Pella Window and Door of Georgia is all about. You've heard me talk about this for a long time, and you know I know something about the product, but you also know the experts there at Pella know even more. So, one of the things you can do is connect with them for free, no presser, no pressure, no hassle conversation about why Pella window and doors are, are, are right for you. I mean, there have been surveys all across Atlanta now for the last couple of years. It is a recognized brand in the Atlanta area. Folks know the quality that it represents, and that's why it's time for you to make that decision yourself to give your home what it deserves, which is the very best available. And that's what Pella window and door of George is all about. Plus, between now and June 2nd, which ironically is my cousin's birthday, but between now and June 2nd, you can get 50% off qualifying installations and 0% APR for 24 months. Great savings on all of that. And if you want to find out more online, you can check them out, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. You can also give them a call, 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Or if you want to do what I like to do, which is I like to feel the product, put my hands on it, find out why it is so substantial what makes it better the experience center is now open in duluth which gives you a chance to do that it's monday through friday from nine to five you can also check them out on saturdays from 10 until four it's just one of the great ways to find out what so many folks in our audience have already learned which is that pella window and door of george is truly viewed to be the best we're gonna get john stinchcomb coming up in a moment we'll talk to uh john about a lot of what's happening 
uh, post-NFL draft and some of the offensive line stuff I want to get into with uh, John here a little bit, both the fall of Jamari Salyer, the uh, arrival of Justin Shaver, the Atlanta Falcons, kind of everything in between all that. It'll be fun with John here coming up in just a little bit. Before that, though, let me go around the doghouse. And I'm going to talk for a moment about N'Kobe Dean there as well. Speaking of draft day slides, Dean had one. It was controversial. It's been kind of interesting to see the way in which um, even non-Georgia fans have kind of rallied to Dean's defense here. You know, those of us who love college football, anytime one of these great college players seems to get disrespected by the NFL, that's going to be treated as controversial by those of us who love the sport and doesn't have to be necessarily our guy for our team. There are plenty of non-Georgia fans arguing very aggressively on behalf of Dean when he slid into the third round the way that he did. And I think that when you, you know, when you listen to N'Kobe, when you listen to what folks like Kirby Smart say about N'Kobe, I think you start to understand why it was just kind of viewed as so weird that he was falling the way that he did. And in fact, let me go back to ESPN TV from last week. Uh, I guess it's first take, but uh, Kirby and N'Kobe Dean were on there. Stephen A. Smith was interviewing them. And then the topic came up of like where Dean thought he ranked, thought he compared to other linebackers including the guy from utah who's kind of thought to be like i guess the number one linebacker in the draft funny from Stephen a but very forceful response by kobe dean for why he thought no i don't care where i get drafted i really feel like i should be considered the best linebacker in this draft and hard to i guess argue with the sentiment that dean expressed here let me give you kind of a fun exchange between you know Nicobe and Stephen a and then we'll talk more about you know why it was that, that Dean slid in the draft, what that means. Here it is from ESPN TV last week. You know, they got this guy, Devin Lloyd, out of Utah. They got him ranked. They got you ranked as the second-best linebacker in the draft. They got this guy, Lloyd, at Utah ranked number one. Here's my thinking. Utah don't play in the SEC. That means they don't play against the same level of competition. Now, that doesn't tell a whole story, but I'm going to take that into consideration. So with that in mind, I'll ask you, do you believe you're the second best linebacker? I do not. What do you believe? <laughs> I believe I'm the best linebacker in this, in this year's draft. Mm-hmm. Hands down. And what do you believe makes you the best linebacker? Uh, besides everything I do on the field, I feel like my mentality is second to none. You know, uh, my mentality, the way I think about things, my mindset, and my leadership ability. I feel like I can, I can lead like no other. So, I mean, I think it's a strong response from uh, Nicobe Dean. I also thought it was kind of funny if you listen to that clip carefully. You hear Kirby kind of chuckle a little bit when Stephen A. kind of goes into a Stephen A. shtick, which is pretty funny to hear Kirby respond to that sitting on the desk there with him. But I think that Dean's argument for himself there is pretty strong. Now, I also think that Kirby Smart's argument for Dean is even stronger. And this is one of the reasons why it makes the fact that Dean slid all the way into the third round, whether he's fully healthy or not, I think, as I said before, a little hard for a lot of folks to comprehend because smart on tv arguing on dean's behalf made it very clear how valuable not just he and the other georgia coaches but the other georgia players viewed dean to be on this national championship team from this past season this was kirby on espn last week i mean this is a guy that got almost every single vote of 130 votes for captains Mm. we have some pretty good players if you watch the combine right we have some pretty good leaders if you watch the combine this guy got more votes than anybody on the history of University of Georgia for captain, and he does it every day. He walks in the meeting room, he is a professional right now. He takes notes, and I've never had a college kid take notes every single day. He had his notes out, writing things down every single day, and it showed on the field. That's a guy I want on my team. Most Georgia fans feel the same way, but I am willing to acknowledge this, that 
the NFL draft is a very difficult thing to predict. You know, some guys succeed that we didn't necessarily expect. Some guys that we view as can't miss. Sometimes in the NFL, they kind of do. It is a little tricky. So those of us who obviously have a lot invested when it comes to Kobe Dean, there's a chance on him will turn out to be wrong. We can't know that for sure. However, the the story of Nicobe Dean sliding the NFL draft, I think, illuminates something kind of interesting. And to me, it illuminates something that's wrong with the NFL. I, I think NFL GMs frequently make two mistakes. And I think you see this show up over and over and over again. I think NFL GMs have a tendency to overestimate their ability to pick players in the draft. The ratio of previous success shows that they never get it right much more than 50% of the time. It's really hard to evaluate an individual players, even for guys that do it for a living. And maybe more importantly than that, the other thing I think that NFL GMs frequently get wrong, and I believe you see this happening with the Kobe Dean story, they are very afraid of doing something that could be viewed as unconventional. They don't want to be laughed at. Did you see the video that came out the other day of Sean McVay laughing when the Patriots drafted the UT Chattanooga player in the first round? This kind of went viral there a little bit. Some wondered if McVay may have had a beer or two. Doesn't really matter to me if he did or didn't. But it's one of those things where even a guy like Bill Belichick with the legacy that he has, the resume that he has, not immune to being laughed at by one of his colleagues. And you know, Belichick's probably got the, the the history that he can absorb some of that. Other guys probably don't feel like they do. And NFL-type personnel-type people, they just simply don't want to be laughed at. They don't want to do anything unconventional because it would maybe open them to criticism. So in the case of N'Kobe Dean, no matter how successful he was at Georgia, he's already a little bit of an unconventional-type guy because he's a little shorter. And NFL guys are afraid of that because they, they are – forced to adhere to conventional wisdom or maybe there's a chance he's a little bit banged up that he's hurt some sort of pectoral issue or whatever else and it would be unconventional to draft a player who's injured no matter how great he is even though the linebacker you probably take in his place has less than a 50 percent chance of succeeding somehow drafting dean in the eyes of some of these personnel men is just simply too unconventional and i think it explains like one of the things that's frustrating about the nfl You've heard it said before that, I mean, this is essentially like a cesspool of nepotism, that the NFL is a bunch of guys whose dads also work in the NFL, and it almost becomes a league where the way that you get into the league is knowing how business has been done, more so than how business could be done better in the future. It's not a uh, uh, um, you know, coincidence, in other words, that when you look at the true innovation in football, it doesn't start in the NFL and work its way down to college and high school. The opposite happens. The most innovative tactics in football are used in high school. They grow their way up into college and they grow their way up to the NFL from there. That's because the NFL is too stuck in kind of a conventional mindset to allow the true innovation to occur there the way that it does in high school and college. The NFL is not even willing to try it until it's been proven to work at another level. And I think you see this kind of like prisoner of conventional thinking helping explain some of the Nicobe Dean stuff uh, there as well. I think it also kind of leads to an explanation for why Kirby's been so successful at Georgia, because he is willing to kind of buck some of those conventional trends. Kirby has done a lot of unconventional things at UGA. They haven't always worked well. But the courage to do something that other people might think is stupid is part of the reason why he's been so successful. And when we watch a lot of the personnel guys around the NFL who simply don't do that very much, I think it explains why a lot of those guys will be on, on the unemployment line sooner rather than later. All right, so that's Around the Doghouse, and this is Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. If I haven't told you already how happy I am to be doing the show again, uh, let me say that now for probably the fourth, fifth time here today. But we're excited about back 
doing a great show having a great week a lot of fun post nfl draft and always great to talk draft with a guy who knows what it feels like to be drafted and knows what it feels like to be poked and prodded and probably doubted and everything else in between john stinchcomb's been through all of that he was watching this year's draft for these georgia guys with keen eyes there as well so let's talk to him about that and so much more here on dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Well, say hello to John Stinchcomb here. Great to be talking to him again. Of course, uh, John, former NFL draft pick, building a career in the league after that, and he knows what the path a lot of these Georgia players are about to travel on over the course of the next few weeks. And, you know, John, I started today's show by saying that before you get too deep into anything else, including especially what comes next for UGA, probably appropriate just to appreciate this for what it is the kind of thing we haven't really seen before and may never see again it's that remarkable because of your you know track record yourself you do have an ability to kind of understand this history maybe better than some what did it feel like to sit there on your couch this weekend and watch dog after dog after dog after dog find his home in the nfl how much fun was that for you oh i loved every second of it i mean you talk about a proud moment or, or several of them, really, of watching all of our dogs represent our university so very well and just so excited. I mean, you talk about, what is there, 22 starters, 24 if you include a punter and a kicker, and 15 guys from one school get drafted. Uh, it, it's really amazing, especially when, um, you know, in, in the modern era and uh, the way the game is played for two-thirds of, of – your team, your starters, to be able to uh, get picked up, five of which in the first round, which is uh, every team that, that's drafted in the first round, they're saying these guys are ready. These guys are ready to step in and help us um, from day one. And they, we, we, we are setting records there as well. Five guys are NFL teams say can help their roster from day one, uh, which, you know, having watched them play this past season, I would agree with that assessment. Uh, there's probably more to just the just the first five that will be able to help their team from the jump. But a truly historic occasion and something that we all should be proud of. And I think we can attest to having watched them play this season that it was a, a very special group and uh, something that you don't see every day and, and will probably stand for a while as well. So I'll admit that there's a little bit of debate in Jacksonville circles about Trayvon Walker going number one overall. But beyond that, one of the things I thought was so cool about the first round of the draft in particular, John, was how easy of a sell the Georgia guys seemed to be for the for the teams that drafted them. I mean, Eagles fans seem to be really happy about Jordan Davis. Uh, seems like Packers fans, other than, I guess, maybe not giving Aaron Rodgers some offensive help, seems like that's been ongoing now for about a decade there in Green Bay. But <laughs> easy sell for a guy like Quay Walker, easy sell for a guy – you know, like Devontae White, you know, for the Vikings slipping in the very end of the first round, getting a hard-hitting safety like Lewis Seen. It seems like these picks, for the most part, because of how they played at Georgia, the level of success they enjoyed, the individual hardware in some cases they brought home, especially in the case of Jordan Davis, that these draft picks just kind of turn into, you know, pretty easy sells for the for the fan bases for those NFL teams. Not across the board. There's a little bit of debate, as said before, about Trayvon there in Jacksonville because of his lack of stats. But for the most part, it seems like the NFL fan bases are receiving these dogs pretty well there. Well, and I think it's something that we've recognized and discussed here on this show 
it's the uh, improved development of, of bringing in obviously top-notch talent, but seeing their stock rise, seeing their play and performance on the field just continue to get better. And uh, I think that's a, a piece that's been missing in this Georgia program for a number of years that when Coach Smart um, came, that was one of the top priorities. Not only do we want to be able to get the very best players coming out of high school, we also want to be able to take wherever they are in their game, where whatever status they have, and be able to improve that. And and I think uh, consistently what we've seen is great players come in and even better players come out. And uh, across the board, what we're what we're hearing is these NFL teams are recognizing and and rewarding the players because of. It. I think you see consistently now there's an expectation that. Uh, Georgia players are, are better suited and uh, better prepared for the next level, that they've been trained and pushed and the expectations, the bar has been raised for their game to the point where when they get to these NFL camps, um, they, they are ready and they understand what's going to be demanded of them. And I, I think that's a testament to the coaching staff and the culture that's been created. Over. Let me talk about Trayvon Walker for one second, then I want to get to some of these offensive line storylines with it because I'm genuinely curious to hear what you have to say about that. But in the case of Walker, you know, I, I do get where some Jaguars fans are coming off on this of, hey, if you got the number one overall pick, it'd be nice if that player had this like really robust stat line, which Walker obviously did not have at Georgia. Now, those of us who watch Georgia football every Saturday understand why that is. But if you're a Jaguars fan, you're just going to kind of look at the back of the football card and you don't see like a million sacks. <laughs> like, I don't mind telling you that I'd much rather have Walker on my NFL team than Aiden Hutchinson. Hutchinson had bigger numbers, but Walker is clearly the superior athlete. And if you want that guy at the top end of the first round of the draft who can be kind of like that, you know, we call him freak sometimes, like that true NFL freak type player, that, that Walker comes closer to being that. I believe his best football could be in front of him because of that athleticism. But as a guy who blocked these types of players in the NFL – I mean, what would you say to – I mean, there's probably Jaguars fans listening to us right now because there's a lot of Georgia fans that live in Jack, Jacksonville. But what would you say to those Jaguars fans about the idea that, hey, a player that maybe hasn't gotten a million sacks in college could kind of turn into that player in the NFL? I, I'm going to make the case for Trayvon Walker by using another player. His name is Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine okay. Johnson, uh, when he went to FSU, you see his stats explode and and. Uh, his season in Florida State uh, really put him on a national map because of his stats. And, and that's, those are easy to see. Those are easy to look for. And you say, oh, this, this guy must be a great player. I see it every, every year when they start looking for uh, the, the, the Pro Bowl in the NFL. You're looking at defensive ends. It's basically, well, who had the most uh, sacks? When that doesn't always translate. What I think Georgia has done is they set themselves up to be, you know, the reason why it's a no-name defense is because they play selfless football. There are a number of times, especially across the D-line, where your job is to really create opportunities for your teammates. And if you're selfish and you get out there and uh, you start worrying about your own stat sheet and put your own statistics in front of team performance, then it, it, it comes at a cost. Yes, you can promote yourself, but it's going to uh, ultimately hurt hurt your overall defensive performance. And what Georgia has shown is that they're willing to be a selfless group and super talented in doing it. And 
Trayvon Walker a number of times uh, played that role to a team. And uh, what I think is you get to another situation, the reason why I bring up Jermaine, I don't think he's a selfish player. I think what, what he did at Georgia is um, he played within the system and did so admirably and then sees an opportunity to go elsewhere where maybe he can highlight his own individual skills more. Is he a different player? No. It's just part of the system that he was in. So as you project these guys to the NFL uh, level and, and how they can help your team, I think teams recognize when you're part of this Georgia unit, you're, you may not have the stats. Uh, for Trayvon Walker, one of the best athletes, uh, I mean, the, the Jeff Sintel early on uh, footage of, of what he was able to do in high school and, and comes into Georgia, uh, that hasn't changed. I think he's still that that freak of an athlete, that big player. We saw the plays against Michigan where he's crumbling. Uh, some of the, the one of the best offensive line groups in college football. So there is most certainly a case. I will say, I think this year's draft highlighted potential and uh, measurables uh, off the field more than I ha- I've seen in years past. And, and that mm. kind of gets into that next conversation of, you know, how, how do guys like Nicobe Dean and Jamari Salyer slide? Because we're all scratching our heads. Anybody who saw Georgia play this past season and you see those two guys slide down the um, it, it makes you wonder. Yeah, so let's talk about Salyer for a moment because, listen, it's, it's very easy, John, for me doing what I do to sit here and say, oh, these guys don't know anything about N'Kobe Dean. If, if letting him slide to the third round is a huge mistake. And then Jamari Salyer, sixth round of the Sandy uh, L.A. Chargers. That's a, you know seemingly a huge mistake. But I want to try to be as fair as I possibly can be. There must be some reason that all 32 teams passed on him as, as much as they did so help us understand that a little bit. Like, what is the the fairest argument against Jamari Salyer? Because we saw a guy dominate Aiden Hutchins in the Orange Bowl, slot in play guard in the national championship. That became a, a big catalyst towards helping the victory. I mean, it seems like we saw Salyer play at a high level, and, and yet he did slide. And for those of us who just want to understand football more, like, like what's that about? Like, why? what didn't the NFL love about Jamari Salyer? Hmm. I, 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 there's going to be some answerings that need to come. And uh, I don't have those answers because I think both guys, N'Kobe Dean and Jamari Salyer, were vastly undervalued when uh, you look at how far they fell. Um, and, and, you know, uh, each team has their own assessment, but I don't know how you watch those guys, both those in particular. They, they played consistently at a very high level. Jamari uh, being selfless and serving – putting team needs in front of his own because, uh, you know, he's projected as a guard in the NFL, but spent most of his time uh, at left tackle because that's what Georgia needed. And then wasn't rewarded for that sacrificial decision that he made. And the uh, same thing could go for N'Kobe Dean. Yeah. I'm sure six, uh, two um, or six, four, like some of the other guys, but consistently one of the best linebackers, if not the best in college football, um, and, and so then your question mark goes to, was it something medical? And, you know, that, that became the storyline for not only to Kobe, but also Jabari. But again, four, four years of performance, how many games did they miss because of these things? And 
in, in today's medicine, it, it can't just be, oh, they might need surgery. I think we've seen with Ojabo and uh, uh, Williams from Alabama, both of them are coming off significant injuries, but you still project them as a healed player. And, and the same would go for Nakobe and Jamari. My only thing is, did they find something that might be um, – a long-lasting medical issue. Otherwise, it makes no sense. I cannot explain it to you because I don't understand. Both those guys are, are tremendous players, and I think, um, based on the next few years, we will understand that they were vastly undervalued, and there's going to be a number of teams that say, man, we really dropped the ball and not picking them up earlier. And I'm not an expert in NFL contracts, but – Obviously, for the case of a guy like Sally or, or really Dean, either one here, it kind of becomes about getting that clock started, you know, finding a home on the field and getting towards that second contract, which I have this correct. I, I do believe is accelerate a little quicker if, you know, first round picks have like that, you know, fifth year option that the league can keep, can, uh, the team can, you know, pick up. I don't believe the uh, non first round picks have that. I'm not a, uh, contract expert has said before but that's really what it's about for a guy like Sally or, or, or a guy like Dean right it's like get on the football field show you belong in this league when it's all said and done you can still be a very rich man but you just may have to wait a couple of years to really cash in on that money at a very high level but that's what it's about for these guys now right it is and and thankfully um, at this point everyone's on an even scale aside from maybe that first round pick that you know, no organization is looking to get rid of from day one um you it, it's who's the best performer and uh, coach payton with the with the saints for years would say that at the, at the start of training camp of like i don't care how you got here i don't care what we pay you we're going to play the best players we're going to keep the best players and that that should be music to the ears of nicobe and, and jamari there's also a performance-based pool of money where it's, it's supposed to highlight the guys that were um, outperforming their contracts. And I, that's a prime opportunity for both of them as guys that were drafted later to kind of tap in at the end of the year. They, they look at what you got paid and how many snaps you took. And um, if uh, based on that, for guys that have been undervalued and underpaid, they get to – tap into some of that money. Now, it's not enough to compensate for being two, sometimes three rounds undervalued come to draft. But, um, again, what you want to do is you want to make it to the NFL. You want to make a roster. You want to become a cornerstone and starter and then uh, become invaluable to your team. And I think both guys have that opportunity in front of them. They're in a camp. Uh, they seem to be good situations for them. But it's, uh, it's a real head scratcher when you look at how that draft played out. But two guys that had been so instrumental to the success of Georgia um, fell as far as they did. I thought it was fun to see Justin Schaefer land with the Atlanta Falcons, not just because Schaefer played at Georgia, but he's also a very good high school player, Cedar Grove, which is one of the great high school programs right now in the Atlanta area. This, to me, is just really cool. Heaven also knows the Falcons need all the offensive line help they can get. So from that standpoint, it's probably pretty good there as well. But how nice was it for you to see a guy like Schaefer land in Atlanta? How good of a fit do you think he might be for the Falcons? Well, again, I'm, I'm excited anytime Atlanta keeps some of the uh, some of our own. Fitzpatrick as well, two guys that yeah. 
uh, were, were parts of, of this Georgia offense and Georgia machine that brought, brought a national championship to us after four decades. So uh, there's ex- excitement there. <laughs> you know, again, I, it's probably a direct correlation there, but you, you look and, and Schaefer was picked before Salyer within five picks and uh, a little bit surprising there, but uh, I, obviously – you know, the offensive line coach for the Falcons, Dwayne Ledford, former teammate of mine in New Orleans. So uh, it's interesting that uh, he, they go the Schaefer route and they obviously see things that he likes. And, uh, you know, when you have a guy drafted in those rounds, there's usually pieces of his game that you really like and see opportunities for development. And you're, you're projecting how they fit in, in your system. And Schaefer being as powerful as he is and he's got a good anchor um it's just a matter of continuing to develop your game and and being able to um, plug in and and adapt to the way the game is played at that next level and uh the same goes for Fitzpatrick I mean when you're projecting for these guys uh you you see pieces of their game that you like and and say how can they help our team and uh both were were instrumental pieces to the puzzle for uh, Georgia and their national championship run. And I think the Falcons are saying, you know what, we've got space for guys like that on our, on our team as well. Let me finish with this. Uh, I noticed that uh, Stacey Searles, working at North Carolina a year ago, had two guys get drafted. I don't know these players, Josh Zodu and uh, Marcus McKeithen. But I guess it says something kind of cool that, you know, Searles, who some Georgia fans had some questions about, that he put a couple guys in the league off his final North Carolina team. Does that speak to you at all, that that Georgia's bringing an offensive line coach that has put a couple of guys into the league as recently as last year? Yeah, and, and Josh is a local kid. Went to Archer okay. High School, which okay, is two good. miles from my house. Good. So I, I knew him coming out of high school and – um, has really had to work. And I think you, you look at him as a, as a great example of someone who, who needed to progress their game and uh, someone that I'm, I'm proud of and happy for because uh, what, what a, a great climb and ascension that he's made. And those don't come without the assistance and the leadership of quality coaching. Uh, and, and I think that is certainly something that Georgia fans should be excited about uh, when you see a program that's not even close to the level of Georgia have two of their players from one position group drafted, um, and, and they didn't come into to college as these five-star recruits, they've had to work and, and craft their skills, um, work their craft, if you will, to, to get to the point that they're at. And um, I, I think that certainly speaks volumes of the coach that Stacy is and, and the, the ability that he has to take a player from where they're at and, and progress them. So I found it to be very exciting on a number of different levels, excited for Josh and then for Georgia fans. I think that's something that they can uh, also be excited about as to what he's bringing to the table for, for this group that we have in our own backyard. John, it's so great to be talking football with you again. Thanks for your insight on the uh, dogs and the draft. And obviously, we're going to have a lot of fun in the weeks to come talking about what's coming next, the recruits that are attracted because of this, and the guys who can work their way up draft boards for the 2023 draft. It's going to be a fun conversation. But uh, today is just a kind of a cool time to reflect on what was a dominant weekend for the dogs and a great punctuation mark on a national championship season. John, we'll look forward to speaking to you again soon. And thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia today. 
always great to spend time with you, talk about some dogs. You obviously had a better week than most, having <laughs> come off a cruise and then followed up with a weekend filled with uh, dogs making us proud. So congrats on a great week to you and all of Dog Nation. It was a uh, great time. Fun to watch that draft on Thursday night there from the ship. That was a lot of fun. So, John, I appreciate that. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Go dog. Take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, John's right. We had a great draft party there on the ship on Thursday. It was actually kind of a cool – this is one of those things just kind of worked out. You know, we sort of planned it this way, but, you know, some of this was just good luck. You know, a uh, great draft night there on that Thursday on board Independence of the Seas and had a kind of a special sort of like VIP section for like the uh, big screen with the draft on it. That was really kind of a night not to be forgotten. That was a, uh, a great time. And so I appreciate John saying that. And as we transition here to cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, I'll, I'll tell you that this is also a great time for you to think about your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Y'all, we just had such a good time. And I was so proud to be on board with a lot of the folks that sailed with us were folks that had not really, and we're going to have you know some celebration of this coming up here in a little bit, but a lot of the folks were on board with us were not necessarily veteran cruisers and not been on a lot of cruises. And it was really fun for me to be able to see the cruise through their eyes. And some of the things that I had anticipated being really popular turned out to be that way. Like one of the things, Perfect Day, Coco Cay, you've heard me talk a lot about this. That's the private island in the Bahamas exclusively for those on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. And the thrill side, the chill side, you had folks enjoying the water park and riding on the slides. In fact, our own Jeff Sintel did a lot of that. He and his wife uh, were on board with us and they were enjoying a lot of that. But you also have the chill side there as well, where you can just kind of get your own beach chair and kind of kick back and relax, get a mat and float in the ocean or largest freshwater pool in the Bahamas. Some folks even went to the Cocoa Beach Club, which kind of has the exclusive area. You have a sort of special, you know, uh, uh, kind of a, a buffet type lunch there. You have the floating cabanas that you can rent there, too. So we had folks kind of enjoying all that Perfect Day Coco K provided. And it was just great to hear how many people really loved that. I would say that for a lot of our folks, that was kind of the highlight of the entire experience. For many who take a Royal Caribbean cruise, that's certainly the case. There are great itineraries for you here as we head towards the summer, or you're starting to think about 2023. I mean, I know for me, uh, getting off Independence of the Seas last week, that's my next thought of when's my next cruise. And looking at you know some dates here in 2023, probably when we get back on board again and just excited about that so my recommendation is check out our friends the cruise and vacation authority they can get you going on everything related to royal caribbean their website tcava.com that's tcava.com or you can also give a call 770-952-8300 that's 770-952-8300 so for the 16th consecutive year the sec has had the most draft picks total in the nfl draft i believe it's 65 i think i saw a funny uh tweet about this so uh, Cole Kubik, some of you know him, SEC Network analyst, radio host in Alabama, was showing the number of draft picks the SEC had in recent years. I think it's like 65 two years in a row, and I guess it was like maybe like 64, something like that the year before that. And Danny Cannell, who you know is a you know relatively uh, noted SEC hater, tweeted back at Kubik on this to say, well, it looks like a plateau to me, which is just kind of a funny thing of basically trying to make light of the SEC's draft success. Begrudgingly, I'll admit that's kind of a funny tweet from Danny Cannell. But when you see this kind of draft dominance once again from the league obviously powered in a lot of ways by georgia but i think it's an important reminder of 
there really is no such thing as SEC bias. And you can say, well, ESPN, if you're not an SEC fan, you can say, oh, ESPN spends too much time talking about the SEC or, you know, there's too much college football playoff bias in the direction of the SEC. After all, we've had multiple SEC teams make the playoff twice this past year with Georgia and Alabama, the same thing with those two teams in 2017 there as well. But if anything, there is there is obviously no NFL draft bias because the NFL draft, the NFL GMs, even if we don't always agree with their reasoning, they do want the best players they can possibly get. And more of those come from the SEC every single year, which is really a validation of the rest of the conversation that happens around college football. And believe me when I tell you, the rest of the country is trying to figure out what to do about this. And there is no easy answer to this. Just the best players live in SEC country. Most of them go to SEC schools. And you can't do that much to change that. It would certainly seem that this is just a sport that's going to have a gravitational pull in the direction of the Southeast. And it's kind of cool this year to have Georgia being so much at the center of that. But SEC dominance of college football is not some work of fiction for some SEC homer like myself. It is the kind of thing that is validated year after year by the NFL draft, which is in many ways the most objective form of analysis that we have. Keep that in mind. Now, I think now that the draft is done, what's also interesting is not just who was selected and where they were taken, but also who wasn't selected in the draft. A few interesting storylines pop up here. Some Georgia fans have made note of the fact that Chris Hinton, who was at one point in time a GAC product and you know a highly rated recruit, chose Michigan over Georgia. Academics were thought to be a big issue there. And unfortunately, you go outside of places like Georgia, you can't be quite so sure how well you're going to be developed. All of a sudden, Hinton going to be, I guess, falling back on that college degree because he was not drafted in the NFL draft. That's always kind of a uh, tricky thing. Justin Ross, the Clemson wide receiver, wasn't drafted either. Now, the rumors that are out there in some respects on this, and maybe we'll get more reporting on this at some point in time, is, is that Ross, because he dealt with more than an injury, he was actually dealing with a health situation. I guess for a lot of NFL teams, they didn't even have Ross in their draft board which is going to put a little bit of a spotlight on the decision to play this past season for Clemson. You know, how much of this kind of lands the feet of Dabos when he was this mistake. Honestly, I'm not a medical expert. I can't tell you that. But at some point, there will be more discussion on this. Also, there's been a little bit of a pro NIL argument made on the behalf of a guy like Ross, who was a great player as a freshman in 2018, but had the medical issue that popped up and, uh, you know, after that, that really made him never the same player again. And maybe there is something to that. But one way or another, Ross goes from being kind of star of the national championship game in 2018, thousand yard receivers, a freshman to now undrafted at the conclusion of his Clemson career. And I guess health issues and concern about that on the part of NFL teams, a big part of the reason why. Other players that didn't get drafted, Jerry Neely, running back at Ole Miss, could have come back to school, but instead put his name in the NFL draft, did not get drafted. So that's a little bit of an interesting thing. Ole Miss did have another running back that got taken. Ely just wasn't that guy. So prolific offense a year ago for the Rebels, but not helping Ely uh, get drafted. Slade Bolden was a wide receiver at Alabama, also could have come back. It was only a redshirt junior, could have come back this year, chose not to do that. He didn't get drafted. So uh, the prolific Alabama offense also not helping Bolden very much there. And it was not a good draft for Texas A&M in a lot of ways. Now, this was foreshadowed a bit by some lackluster pro day performances, 40-yard times and things like that. But you remember Leon O'Neill's former very big recruit as a safety. He went undrafted. Jalen Watermeyer left school early as the tight end, you know, guy that was, you know, really a big part of the A&M offense. But ultimately, he didn't get drafted. 
Um, you know, Isaiah Spiller, the running back, did get drafted, but a lot lower than maybe he probably would have hoped to have been after being such a focal point there for Texas A&M. And it's pretty easy, I think, to to talk about what this might mean for the future. There are a lot of guys who have hitched their wagon to the Aggies here, number one recruiting class for the 2022 cycle. Many believe the NIL is a big reason why they landed there. You better hope you didn't trade some short-term financial gain for long-term financial gain. I've said it plenty that NFL is always going to be a lot more valuable to you than NIL. You are not going to set yourself up for life. Most players aren't anyway through NIL money. NFL money can be, though, uh, a path to lifelong, in some cases, even generational wealth. Boy, you better make sure you choose the right school to help prepare you for that. And in the case of guys like Watermeyer and O'Neill, not quite so sure that was the case. A couple of other stories here really quick. The transfer portal deadline, in other words, the time in which you have to be in the portal in order to be immediately eligible for the upcoming season was May 1st. So that has kind of come and gone over the weekend. There was a lot of flurry of activity in both football and basketball leading into that. It seems relatively quiet around Georgia, though. Cameron Kinney does go in the transfer portal. That's the offensive lineman. But beyond that, you're kind of left to wonder, okay, so I guess Georgia kind of dodged a bullet here on the one respect, but also in the other respect of what about those scholarship numbers? <laughs> You know what's going on here on that because it's commonly believed that Georgia's still destined to be above the scholarship limit. It's one of those times where I'll remind you once again that there can be, in some cases, unconventional ways of counting scholarships or figuring out who counts against the scholarship and who doesn't. Also, in you know, uh, uh, some cases, just the, the there's you know extra scholarships available now because of the the pandemic stuff and things like that. There are a lot of accounting procedures that are going on behind the scenes here that. We may not always fully understand all of that, but Georgia does. Georgia knows exactly what they have available to them. And my guess is now that the transfer stuff is kind of done, you'll probably start to see Georgia work here in the portal a little bit, maybe room for a couple of guys. And with the uh, deadline having come and gone, if you want to start portal shopping on your own on behalf of Georgia, the guys that are in the portal are probably the guys that Georgia has to choose from right now. So we'll see if Georgia makes a move towards them edge rusher outside linebacker type guy maybe a safety possibly a wide receiver or maybe really anything else we'll start to watch that pretty closely and speaking of the transfer portal i don't have time today to get into this story as much as it needs to be but i detect there was a little bit of a mood shift over the weekend in relationship to name image likeness we're gonna talk about that a little bit more uh tomorrow but in particular how nil impacts the transfer portal there are a couple of big stories that were probably a part of that one of those was a miami basketball story but jordan addison Blitnikoff winning wide receiver at pitt going to the transfer portal many folks think he's leaving for usc for a big nil deal and the bottom line here is is this certainly looks to have the appearance of tampering that Addison was a player on the Pitt roster, and suddenly, miraculously, he was leaving Pitt to go to USC for the NIL deal. He didn't put his name in the portal. The rumor popped up that USC was in pursuit of him. Now, they've tried to play some media games to kind of downplay this some, but you have seen a lot of high-profile criticism of this, that this is essentially USC just stealing a player off Pitt's roster, and it kind of speaks to there are a lot of people who like the idea of players getting paid and even like the idea of players having some freedom to transfer. But when you're openly poaching players off someone else's roster, this to a lot of folks feels like a bridge too far. And 
I'm kind of left to wonder if some of the things that we've seen here as of late, the Miami basketball story, you know, where uh, big dollars got paid to the uh, Kansas State transfer, essentially openly, you know, touting the NIL deal as a reason for the transfer. And then the player that reportedly was going to hold out because he wanted more NIL money and that kind of played out between that player's supposed agent and the guy John Ruiz, who's the big NIL benefactor there for Miami. All of this as of late just kind of feels like it's leading to a little bit of a mood shift. And I'm not quite so sure what that means, but that is a story I think we're going to explore a little bit in the time to come because there are definitely more prominent voices now saying, hold on, wait a minute, what are we doing here with all of this? It feels like we got a little bit more of that going on right now than we've had before. And maybe all of this kind of motivated by the Addison story potentially leaving Pitt to go to uh, USC for a big dollar deal. We'll follow it. We'll talk about it more tomorrow. But for now, we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And as we get ready to wrap up here today, I want to spend some golden shoe time. We've got a lot of very good golden shoe submissions, a lot of those NFL draft related. We'll have some fun with those in the days to come. But I want to highlight a couple of folks who are with us on the Dog Nation cruise, enjoying themselves. And we were very happy to have them. We had so many great folks on the uh, Dog Nation cruise. It was really just a cool time to be around a lot of good Georgia fans and talk some Georgia football and have a great time doing that. So a couple of golden shoe highlights here for a moment. We may have more of these coming up here, too, as I'm kind of getting caught up on Twitter. Our buddy James Lawson was on board with us, thanking Dog Nation for everyone who made the Dog Nation cruise unforgettable. I don't think uh, his significant other wanted to get off the boat uh, uh, this morning. Such a fun trip and even bigger pleasure getting to know you all. Safe travels to everyone. Yeah, the Lawsons were a great couple. So much fun. Uh, a great time. So James will make you a golden shoe winner. We appreciate you being on board. By the way, beautiful photos. Also, our buddy Wise Dog checking in to say, well, the cruise is over. Big thanks to Brandon Adams, the Dog Nation crew for the great experience. Can't wait for the next one. Wise Dog, we appreciate that. Glad to have you on this one there, by the way, as well. And also happy to be back doing the Gator Hater stuff again. Gator Hater updater. Florida dealing with a long national championship drought. It's now been 4,000. 862 days since those lousy stinking gators have won a national title and more bad news coming up gator hater countdown 180 days from right now georgia back in jacksonville beating those florida gators we can't wait for that we'll see you tomorrow dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia and on the podcast time off the rs andrews podcast cool down and boy it's great to be doing this again uh, sorry for the very weird schedule last week just you know connectivity issues being the bahamas things like that made for a little bit of a challenge we went along without a podcast we probably haven't quite some time so we're happy to be back again happy to be doing our podcast cool down once again everything else read a couple of comments today and encourage you to get more comments in for the rest of the week there as well uh sheree byra checks in to say as a dog fan who waited 42 years for the championship it was great to be alive to experience the exciting 2021 season with these great kids bringing one home for us go dogs and sheree very well echoing what i said off the top of the program there today there too that sometimes our job is just to stop and appreciate it and boy that was certainly true uh for the georgia bulldogs here this particular this particular weekend what a great time that was uh for that um also uh uh feel thrill 69 uh checking in about the falcons you know 
he says uh, you know secretly other teams laugh at atlanta they have a strict policy against drafting you know big school players it seems like he says they draft players from south dakota state or montana state or east western tech schools for welders that's who they draft and so a little bit of frustration about the falcons about you know who they draft who they passed on obviously taking a couple of dogs late in the draft but eventually but originally kind of passing on a kobe dean which not everybody loved um also, Andy Hill feeling the same way, frustrated about the Falcons saying you should know this. Atlanta and the owner are clueless and brain dead. Uh, <laughs> so there you go on that. Um, yeah, Oren Chile and others. Not a lot of folks not happy that the uh, Falcons passed on uh, on Nicobe Dean. Peter Wilson, though, steps up to say that he thinks that Nicobe is going to be an all pro and um, the Falcons will regret not taking him. So, boy, a lot of feeling about that for sure. A lot of feeling about that. Um. So uh, good stuff. Great conversation taking place here in the uh, in the on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily, and also coming up at our comment section there at DogNation.com. So we'll see you there for that. More fun to come on the podcast. Cool down tomorrow. Thanks for being here. Back again in podcast form. Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. The RS Andrews Podcast. Cool down after that. Have a great day. We will see you back here again tomorrow.